This is Brad Reynolds. I'm the SVP of AI at Expedient. I had the opportunity last week to sit down with Brian Smith, our CEO, and discuss our plan and how we would help others, CEOs, and board members plan for their 2024 AI strategy. We're going to be going over five key areas you need to address in crafting that strategy, and we're going to be giving you a Q&A session afterwards of 30 minutes so that we can discuss live questions that you may have about the webinar. I wanted to welcome everybody to Expedience webinar on building your 2024 enterprise AI strategy. Myself, Brad Reynolds, I'm the so, uh, Senior Vice President of Artificial Intelligence at Expedient. And my co-part in this is Brian Smith, the CEO of Expedient. The overview of this, what you're going to get out of it is operator questions that you need to be asking yourself and your board in terms of crafting an AI strategy. This isn't going to be an expedient conversation. It's going to be what you can take away to kind of craft your business for the uh, coming year. Our strategy discussion is going to go over five core points. And these are points that I've found in consulting for the last two years before I came on board with Expedient. These are the steps that everybody needs to go through uh, in terms of answering questions so that you can get to the point of implementing AI in 2024. So with that, I um, want to ask Brian some questions in your, in your CEO hat of Expedient. What are some of the key organizational concerns you were thinking about when we were crafting an AI strategy for 2024? I think a large portion of it is just where does it fit? And I think there's a big concern also for people on the fear of missing out. They're not exactly sure you know, what it means for them to start, but they know that there's a big risk of not figuring out how AI fits into the business. And most of the conversations around AI are the impact that it can have for the business for areas of efficiency, uh, giving insights to data and information that were never really available before to have better decisions for the business and also giving insights for uh, opportunities that may have been missed. Uh, so those are some of the core pieces in addition to how can you increase the efficiency in the day-to-day -day, uh, people inside your organization. Is that similar to when you were working with outside companies and uh, how those trends align? That's definitely one of the kind of core concerns that folks need to address. Uh, what I've found is that most folks, are they understand the power of AI, but they need to set the stage a little bit of how they're going to capitalize on that. And so some of the stage setting that needs to be done is, what am I going to need from my board? Do I need skill sets on my board? Do I need outside consultants uh, that could help me in terms of the governance around AI? And then probably maybe even on a more important level, great, we think that there's a strategy here, but who, who's going to go implement that internally? Is, are we going to, as a CEO, are we going to give it to the CIO? But who's concentrating on AI inside of an organization and how much are they concentrating it? Or is it just an add on to work that they're already doing? Figuring out that kind of component of who's handling it, do I have board alignment, do I have board support, are kind of a, like really critical aspects that usually indicate success if you're able to align those. But one of the other ones that I was interested to get your perspective on is AI policy. Mm -hmm. Like how, how important is kind of the, 
rules and of engagement and guardrails from like a formal perspective for for what you did at Expedient? Sure, and the policy leads into one of the major concerns that the board has in, in there, which is security. So their two biggest questions were, you know, how do we do something that we know we're not really leaking our data and getting at external access to our private information, but also just where's the right place to start where you know, some of those big concerns from the board perspective. So when we think about uh, the strategy as a whole, a big portion of it is it has to align to where you're going with the business. So you have to think, you know, are you a business that wants to be you know, very pro uh, leveraging AI in, inside the business? So you're gonna uh, make adjustments and craft a message uh, and a policy for employees that aligns with that versus something that's, you know, it could be the opposite, very draconian, where you know, there's no AI access period, you're gonna block all external access. You know, so that's just that, that base first thing you have to decide internally. But when we thought about the, a healthy policy, uh, it really ties into uh, other data privacy things or data protection pieces of, you know, do you have a good audit trail? Do you know, you know what is being consumed? Uh, is it uh, gonna be different for uh, something that we do internally on a private AI deployment versus something that's being used from a public, publicly accessible tool? And we found that there's even nuances from you know, is this data that's being passed through kind of a user interface from a public tool versus an API because the data privacy pieces were actually very different, uh, surprisingly different uh, between just how you access the tools along the way. Uh, so having those different components, making sure that it aligns with uh, your overall uh, compliance structure that you have for the business. But one of the biggest things was making sure that all of the employees understand that they're ultimately responsible as a human for anything that they consume and use out of AI. You know, so that it can't be determined that it's absolute fact because it's coming from the tool that they still own all that accountability and all that responsibility to make good use of it. Yeah, I think that's key. There's a lot more nuance than just saying there's a generative AI policy for our company. And we're actually for kind of one of the outputs of this talk, we're going to be giving everybody in the success packet an example of a generative AI policy um, that you could potentially repurpose to your own that covers a lot of those points. Additionally, some examples of other folks' generative AI policies like the city of Boston, just so you have mm -hmm. ideas about what people are thinking about. But so you have a policy in place, you have some board understanding and alignment, you have a, a person that it, you know, could potentially spearhead some of this AI work for you in 2024. The first step of we'll call it shadow IT remediation, but, or shadow AI remediation, but the concept of internal employees at Expedient are using ChatGPT right now, even before the policy. So how do you kind of get a guardrail or a control around that so that you can kind of launch in the next year? Yeah, I think those two are really intertwined because you have the, the policy that is gonna set those guardrails and the framework on you know, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable inside the business, what type of information you could put in. But policy is one piece, but it doesn't really have enforcement unless you're tracking everything. And most of the uses of public uh, AI tools, you wouldn't have any observability and tracking to see what's being entered to begin with. So you know, the, we've been uh, using the term shadow AI because it's very similar to the connotation of shadow IT where shadow IT is when other departments can really circumvent central IT 
and go uh, leverage and do their own thing and uh, build their own application, get their own infrastructure. Shadow AI is very similar because it's such a consumerized product. It's easy access. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your, your uh, on a browser. And so the policy can be that first uh, area. But uh, as part of the policy enforcement, you know, we also uh, took additional steps for implementing uh, things that would block access to certain sites. But blocking it uh, isn't enough because people are just going to find other ways to go around to get access because there's so much value there. So you really have to give them a really positive alternative option uh, that's more powerful than what they get from a single tool. So uh, we leveraged uh, different technologies so that we could encrypt and protect our own data before it goes out uh, to an external uh, model, but also giving them uh, options for internal uh, AI models that may actually be more spe uh, specific to their different use cases and, and the work that they're doing inside the business day to day. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the shadow AI stuff. And one of the important points to kind of grasp from an organizational perspective is there are lots of AI options at the buffet. Um, ChatGPT and OpenAI is one, but there are others. There are internal options, there are coding options, there's graphical options. And the notion of, of you, you attract more with honey uh, is kind of, I think, the strategy that you need. So the notion that you're going to want to use OpenAI for some things, great. How do you protect your company through to be kind of in line technically with the legal policy that you put in place? I think it's a, a huge area, and we've developed our own tools to be able to do that, but definitely something that everybody's got to put as the first step of what they do after they kind of define the high-level stuff. Um, so you have shadow IT or shadow AI implemented to, uh, remediate it a little bit. What are kind of the next steps? Like what's the next thing that you're thinking about once you have the basic blocking and tackling done to give you an alternative to chat GPT? So the next thing is really the enablement inside the business of helping people understand. And it's amazing. You can actually use some of the tools to help you with the enablement so that you can do a session where you provide uh, access to uh, tooling for your users and then have them interact and ask questions about their role, their job, how they could benefit, and it starts sparking ideas. So pretty quickly, you want to get the adoption so you're getting value out of that. And that initial type of chat interface is beneficial, but it's not giving you access to your private data and incorporating your pieces in there. So I think the next real thing is, as a company, you have to agree on what are the strategic projects that you want to go after and what are the things that can have the, the biggest benefit and you have to balance of you know, the biggest benefit versus effort and determine what's the right ratio for where you should start. And But pretty quickly, there's you know, some other things that, that, that pop up. Curious, as you've done consulting, what are some of those you know, key projects that you've seen or, or the process people go through to vet you know, what's a good place to uh, start a proof of concept or a, a project uh, to bring to the surface? So I, that's a really interesting question because I, I do want to touch on the nuance of how we've done some things at Expedient, which differs from what I've done on the consulting side. On the consulting side, I've mostly found folks who have an idea of a use case, something to improve customer support quality or um, improve a customer direct experience by accessing a database on the back end. But those were novel 
use cases. Mm -hmm. They didn't exist in the business before. We're going to use AI to maybe be transformative. And so that's what I've been doing, and it accesses private data, uses private models, all that kind of stuff. But I think folks are missing something if they go immediately to a use case that is intended to be transformative, mm -hmm. because you need to get the whole organization bought into AI. So uh, I was interested in what you said in terms of how can we use AI to touch on objectives and key results that were already in flight. And so from a CEO or a board perspective, thinking about showing value as quickly as possible, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do proof of concepts that could be transformative, they definitely keep those in mind, but where your organization is going to unite around the AI, uh, what it offers to a business is to see things that they've been working on for a quarter or a year suddenly get unlocked in terms of value. So I, I, I felt that to be probably uh, the primary path you should think of in use case. And then secondarily, maybe next generation or transformative aspects of how you could use language models to um, do things. Yeah, that aligns really well to what our uh, approach was, because one of the concerns with AI, especially right now, is it's such an over-discussed topic and it means so many different things uh, to folks as well. So there's a risk of it becoming kind of the next shiny penny versus actually uh, having real impact. So when we looked at our use cases, you know, we started actually with a bunch of what if questions. So we took the you know, three biggest initiatives that we had going on inside the business and said, what if this was capable? What if, you know, what would the impact be if we could do this? And then we started asking, well, you know, what's the impediment? Why can't, can't that be done? And you know, what are the challenges? And one of the common themes was certain pieces of information were accessible and ready to be used. And then there were other things where the data really wasn't accessible and there was a lot of effort. You know, so then we had to think about you know, some of those different uh, components to help prioritize one project to another uh, so that we could have early quick wins, but for s specific things that tied to the core existing objectives because then the entire business could see that we were staying aligned with what the core goals were, but uh, also the impact that AI could have in those specific areas. Yeah, so I, I wanted to touch on a couple of things that I heard there. One is to implement these AI strategies, what structure have you put in place to go and execute on this inside of the business? You talked about things that align to a bunch of different OKRs that we have, but does that mean there's 50 people involved in kind of making those things happen? How did you? figure out how to make that work sure. within the structure of the existing uh, entity? Well, definitely using OKRs is, is a big part of it so that there's clear alignment of what the goals are and when we're expecting to have uh, different chunks of work uh, being done. But then we really set up almost like a startup inside the business. You know, But instead of having people that were dedicated to that team, we took individuals from different teams uh, and are hiring additional uh, people into the business that will report onto those existing teams so we don't build something that's not sustainable and doesn't align with the rest of the way that we operate the business. Plus, by uh, bringing that expertise locally into the different teams, it helps really propagate uh, the knowledge and share that to accelerate the overall learning. Yeah, I, I definitely think that interweaving the goals of AI with the organization responsibly takes a specific strategic plan. but. That's where you get leverage and acceleration of uh, the kind of strategy. The other thing that I heard you say uh, about 
some of how we're looking to implement AI internally was about the data. Something about, hey, the data could be in the right place and some of this data is not necessarily in the right place and how is it labeled and how is it presented? Sure. How does the data story integrate into the AI story? Yeah, the, you know, I'd almost say they're the same thing. You know, the, the value of data is the value of AI and, and how you consume it and how you use it. But there were some really monumental learnings early on that were some aha moments that you know, were surprising. And you know, some of those were you know, almost the way that we think about data almost gets flipped and put on its head. Because historically, you've thought of the most recent data as the most valuable. So when you open an office uh, program, it shows you here's your recent files that you're working on. Uh, or when you're doing backups, you keep your uh, a certain volume in hot uh, storage, and then it gets colder the, the older it is. And so historically, people and Expedia also have stored data uh, at different tiers to balance cost uh, and retention requ requirements, but also had different protocols that they use in different places. Uh, so you may have one thing that's for an object store, a different thing that's a, for a Windows server, and we found very quickly that much of that data wasn't accessible to what we were trying to do from AI. So you know, we needed to look at the overall structure of that, but then also, what's the appropriate data that we want to make accessible? How do you put the data governance around it so only the right people have access to the right pieces of information? So you know, there's a lot of time and effort to get all of your data AI ready, and that's a large portion of where you should focus early on is understanding where data is at, what you'd want to use, how you would uh, classify that, and then putting in the automated process to keep good health uh, and work on the projects that you can access right now and then move to others as you make progress. Yeah, I see um, the AI conversation being a business conversation where it's, we kind of understand what AI can do and we wanted to solve these business problems now if we define that as the use case at the CEO level, board level, CIO level, how do we go accomplish that? Step one, often, once you've defined your use case is, okay, where is the internal data that we're going to need to consume? And how do we move it, store it, present it in a way that the AI logic reasoning engine can kind of access to, to drive some insights? But that brings up a, a nuance in terms of like one of our internal use cases, which is we have trouble ticketing systems that involve our own internal knowledge. They involve client knowledge. They can mm -hmm. involve proprietary information related to clients. We have regulations and audits that we're, we're subject to. How do you wrap your mind around all of the requirements with data so that we can use AI, but in a responsible fashion, given the uh, the, the things that we've committed to our clients and our, our employees. Yeah, one of the, the things that helped give comfort to both myself and the board when we're looking at that is you know, how we can put those guardrails around you know, those pieces of information. So we got pretty comfortable you know, if we said that that data doesn't ever exit our current environments and the workload in the AI pieces sit directly adjacent to it versus streaming it out to an external uh, public AI tool. And so the way that we're really accomplishing that is there's certain things that we can do uh, that may be a, a chat for common questions and things that would go and access a public uh, tool. And, but then to have access to those groups of data, it's limited to a private model that we're running on 
infrastructure that's inside our data center that's directly adjacent and connected to you know, those sources uh, of data so that you know, we have a lot more control uh, over uh, those capabilities. Can you touch a little bit more on the private AI aspect? I've heard private come up a lot. I've also heard public in terms of the AI kind of clouds that you can access. In the context of that use case or in general, tell me about kind of like what the private infrastructure is and how accessible that is to a, a general company uh, like uh, any of the folks watching the webinar. We may actually want to zoom out even further uh, because I think a large portion of the AI conversations, uh, probably 80% of what's going on right now, people are so focused on training and training their own model. And so they think of that can't really be done internally because they can't do they can't get enough access to GPUs to build their own and build their own private. So I think you need to think about that first. And you know, one of the best analogies here, I would say, is when you think of the training process when, in the whole AI journey, that's kind of like the time in your life that you spent learning to walk. You know, most uh, people, you know, in a period of you know, two to three months from the first time they start stand up, they're fully walking. But then they use that skill for the rest of their life. Uh, and the training piece uh, is likely going to be done in a public area, like a, a uh, public cloud or more likely even a specialized cloud and for something that's built for that purpose. But most companies aren't going to even do their own training. It would be like purchasing, if you're doing your own training, that's like going to and purchasing a car from an auto parts store. You still don't do that, or it's pretty rare. And so think about that you're going to be picking multiple models likely that fit your business, and then you can run those on your own private hardware. So it's a, a matter of actually having not one model that you're going to run, but you're likely in your business going to run multiple different models for different use cases for different departments. And by having that specialization of the models, they each get smaller and smaller the more specialized they are. You know, so that's uh, part of the way that it can be cost effective to run that in a, a private environment. Yeah, I think there's like with all AI stuff, there's just updates that happen on a daily, weekly basis and things that are a monumental change. About four months ago, uh, Meta came out with an open source mm -hmm. model that just think about it as a meta or mega piece of software that you could download and run on your own servers or a, a cloud set of servers, but it's dedicated to you. And that didn't exist before, not right. at any substantial size. So it's now thinking about it as an engineering concern of for those applications where I need to keep the boundaries very tight and under, underneath my control for, we'll just say, first of all, from privacy, but also from what happens when an outside model gets updated and some business process flow that you were right. depending on suddenly changes. You don't have version control. So you, you can put that under your control, log it, you know, and put all the normal kind of monitoring and, and capability effects around that model. But that's a novelty, like that didn't exist uh, right. too long ago. That then gives you the private basis from where you can extend that. So you can take models like that or other models and customize them to your business. But like one example that really resonated with me at Expedia is we have a relatively large source code library of all the different modules and applications mm -hmm. that we've built, we're, we want to take that foundational coding model and let it learn the way that we speak about code. Because every right. company has their own language when it comes to marketing or code. 
would never upload that to any sort of public model uh, for many reasons. Uh, but be able to host that ourselves, we can actually modify that model to speak more like a really highly trained employee, and they're in our office, you know, for right. all intents and purposes. So I, I think that there's a, a revolution coming on, and, and you had mentioned training and the whole, you spend a year of your life learning to walk, that's training, and then 80 years walking, that's what in the industry is a term called inference, right. but it just means running the model in your operation. And, and I think that there's a revolution coming in inference where you can use models that speak code, that speak general purpose, that speak SQL, that speak even things like accounting and, and all the different kind of nuances in language. And that's coming down the pike. So as you're a CEO or a board member or a CIO, the notion that you have the control now again to say, hey, these things, let's let's do that internally. It meets all of our rules and restrictions. Or for certain businesses that are highly regulated, let's do everything internally. We can't take right. even an iota of chance being out. And for other businesses, let's do some of it internally, but some of it we're okay using some of these best of breed image generators for marketing or GPT for you know other internal operational things. But it's kind of like the CIO now has the control over the levers and the CEO has the control over levers, but you have to have that strategy plan in place so that you realize where the levers are and which ones you're gonna pull in what situations. So yeah, that's um, I think the, the kind of core in terms of what you can do privately versus publicly. Yeah, I think of it very similar to cloud. You know, okay. Early in cloud, you know, people had this belief that everything's gonna go into the hyperscale cloud. And you know, 15, 20 years into that, they realize that that's not really where things ended up. And it's more like 30% there, and then the rest in other uh, private or uh, types of cloud, either on-premises or through alternate service providers. And the AI piece is likely very similar. There's gonna be certain things that it makes total sense to run in off a public uh, model. And then there's other things that you want uh, inside your business where you're gonna have those additional security layers where you wanna be able to have your own change control from when you move from model version one to model version two. And those are things that uh, may be more uh, unique to your business. Those could be things that it's, uh, it's more because it's accessing your specific data that's sitting next to it and the speed that you need to do those connections. And all those are different pieces that also build confidence in your team that you're gonna have a good experience because they have more control over uh, some of those components. So. The same reasons that people have made decisions to put different applications in different clouds, I think that same mentality works really well for you know why you would put certain things in different types of models or different types of AI use cases. We've developed this strategy internally at Expedient, and as you're looking out at 2024 and thinking about how did we set the stage, um, how did we provide an alternative to shadow AI, how did we get our data ready, and how are we thinking about the whole public and private? How, show us kind of the map for 2024 for Expedient and how you're looking to drive value out of AI. Sure. Yeah, a lot of uh, Q4 of this year is uh, getting the additional foundational pieces and uh, expanding the knowledge base uh, inside the organization as a whole. And so there's certain areas like the uh, protected chat uh, or eliminating that shadow AI component is something that you know, we'll, we have available uh, to the employees. So that helps accelerate and also build confidence in using AI and, and so they can see how that it improves their efficiency. And then as we are getting our data ready and AI ready and in different areas, 
the first areas that we have will be injecting our uh, own uh, information and data into those private models that stay inside of Expedient, and those use cases start to get deployed at the end of this year. And then as the other components and data becomes accessible, and sometimes we have to write new APIs, others is moving storage from you know, older platforms into uh, our uh, current AI uh, platforms. Each of those stages unlocks things, but each one is an incremental value that we're giving to the business along the way. It's not like a waterfall project where you have to wait till the end and you get everything all at once. At each one of these releases that we have, uh, different teams and different groups are seeing a big difference in the work that they're doing. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting ride in 2024 for us, but I think the part that I'm most excited about being in the AI bubble or the AI entrepreneurial startup inside of Expedient is that I can see how the things that we're working on tie into the rest of the business. We do it through OKRs. Other people have different methods to do that, but you don't want it to happen in a bubble. You want folks to know that when they're doing these things, they're making a difference in, ter in terms of the overall operation, and then that makes you feel good. It's a great feedback loop. So I thanks for giving us all of your insight and, and uh, capabilities in terms of the AI plan and strategy for 2024. And in, in terms of the folks on the call, these are kind of the five concrete steps that you have to go through to be able to say, okay, I'm ready to go and implement a proof of concept that involves some sort of AI inference internally. You, you need to understand setting the stage, you need to understand where your data is, and then at that point, your use cases, you can figure out, do I wanna do things publicly or privately? But the kind of summary words that I'll leave you with is, we can't be wringing our hands about AI, you need to be responsible about it, you need to put a policy in place, but in the words of Nike, just do it. You have to start doing things with AI, getting employees using it, and it's, it's a little scary. Um, there's just no two ways about it. There's all kinds of knowledge that none of us have a complete idea of, and we're gonna be learning about it, but just doing it, taking a few steps forward, taking a few steps after that, is the core to being able to realize the value out of your 2024 strategy. And as a summary, we'll, we'll be sending out a success packet that covers a lot of detail in each of these areas. So for example, some policy examples, links to McKinsey reports on what you should be thinking about in generative AI, links to reports from like Harvard Business and KPMG about how the CEO and the board should be interacting as it relates to AI, newsletters that you can subscribe to. But the reality is a lot of information that we've curated to say these are some things that if you read them, you'll probably be able to have a couple valuable takeaways to use in your own 2024 strategy and implementation. So thanks, Brian. I'm always a pleasure talking and uh, look forward to doing a great job in 2024. I'm looking for the delivery of it. <laughs>